Chicago hard, Chicago hard, Chicago hard. Up and into them, right from the start of the game. Chicago State of Mind. We are a Chicago sports podcast from the perspectives of three Southside guys with an unapologetic Chicago bias. If this city could talk, it would say Chicago versus everybody. I'm DC. I'm A-Dub. I'm Press. Fellas, what's good? Well, DC, a 2 a.m. flight back to the crib last night, man. Let's just say that, uh, I'm going to give this show all I got, but the brother's over here tired, man. How y'all doing? Man, I'm doing well, man. I can't call it, brother. Same. Doing good, you know, how I, you know, be be chauffeuring. But, you know, <laughs> don't worry. I, You know, I, I know you rode in on the struggle bus, but we got you. I appreciate you. Now, DC, I got a little bit of a bone, and I'm probably going to bring this up on my other podcast. I'm going to do a fair file on, on ride shares, especially these damn prices right now. All right, now, me and A-Dub, was taking Ubers and Lyfts all over the damn strip, man. Why y'all got all these surcharges now, man? This stuff is expensive, bro. Trust me, man. If I was CEO of a rideshare company, I would take it easy on those prices. But, you know, I just, I, I help. I don't run. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but now I see why you be out here killing it, man. Because just to get back from the airport, so midway back to the crib last night, 72 bucks. I don't remember uh, Uber and Lyft being that much. Is this like um, after the pandemic, everything just went up? Or, I mean, talk to me, bro, because I'm telling you, I'm like, I, this is my first time back in like these Ubers and stuff. And I was like, I'm not doing this next time. This is just my theory on this. There's been a major, major shortage of drivers on the road. Ah. I believe that just temporarily, they're going to spike prices only to entice drivers to get back out there because it, it's just unbalanced. Ever since the pandemic, you've got a hell of a lot of demand because people just shot out the gates like it's the Kentucky Derby when everything opened up. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just it's just like, man, a lot of people are still kind of you know, leery about getting out there, driving in such a close proximity with the pandemic still happening. So I get it, but it's just it's just lopsided temporarily. I think it'll all even out next year. Man, I hope so, man, because I was like looking at I'm like, man, my next major trip, because generally, you know, my work trips, D.C., I get the uh, rental. So this is like the first true time that I had to do any sort of ride share, you know, because when I went in, um, man, I think when I went in June to Vegas, I think I had, oh, no, you know what? The hotel, they sent like a little uh, shuttle thing for us. So I'm telling you, bro, I spent like about 400 bucks in ride share, man, this weekend. That's a pretty big chunk of change right there for, for getting around, especially on the strip or around the strip. So, yeah, yeah, hopefully uh, things get back to normal. And this is just, you know, for lo- those listeners that may have lapsed 
as rideshare drivers. Get back out there. There's a few coins to be had. Sorry, it's at the expense of passengers right now. <laughs> going to be okay. <laughs> you know, things will get back to normal. And audience, if y'all listening to DC right now, that man swims in a bank like Scrooge McDuck. That man is over there cashing in right now. I was watching a little Dave Chappelle and, you know, my favorite <laughs> skit is, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, am making a pretty good uh, amount for myself. So thank you to everyone that has ever rode with me and, you know, helped out the cause. Thank you to all the ride drivers out there. Stay safe. And DC's riders and, and passengers, keep listening to the show. We love y'all. Yes, sir. All right, audience, as always. This show is brought to you by Crave It. You can find this application on Apple or Android. Our exclusive community can be reached at Chicago Versus. That's V-E-R-S-U-S. Fellas, let's get into this show. Obviously, we, we teased and we said that Vegas, right? We talked about Vegas. So, yes, we were in Vegas. Two to three of us. DC had to stay back and get this money. But A-Dub and I, we represented for the pod. And so we went down there and we got to witness that destruction of the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. I mean, we know they had a bunch of shit going on with Gruden and his fucking emails with a fucking idiot. That team, A-Dub and D.C., you could tell on that football field, there was a lot more going on in that game. That team just did not look they wanted to play. They did not look like they wanted to be out there. What were your thoughts on that game? Because the Bears, just they had their way with the Raiders. They were making mistakes that they normally don't make with costly penalties and things of that nature. And they just didn't look the same like you're saying, Perez. Yeah, I figured that something was off there. And, you know, from what we found out about that whole Gruden situation is that the owner of the Raiders got word on Friday about what happened. And, you know, throughout the weekend, I'm pretty sure that cloud was hanging over the team. So they just tried to go out there and do their job. But unfortunately, they did not do their job successfully because the Bears came away with that W. I'm telling you, Chris Angel was out there before the game audience and he did a trick. He did he was in a Houdini straitjacket upside down. They they put him all the way to the top of the uh the, the arena and he got out of that in, in 15 seconds. And I kept telling A dub, I said, they need Chris Angel to fucking go into uh Derek Carr's jersey and fucking learn how to play quarterback because that motherfucker Derek Carr did not want to be out there. He looked awful in that game. <laughs> Look like he quit early, man. Uh, he just didn't have his stuff today. I mean, you could tell, like you said, he just didn't look his best. He didn't have the throwing ability. I mean, he was inaccurate most of the day. And uh, part of his defense, but still, he just wasn't making plays he normally would make. What, what do I always tell people about, uh, about Carr? You put a couple hits on that dude, and he's a different quarterback. Now, I know some people say, all oh, quarterbacks get hit. All quarterbacks get affected. Well, no, because if you look at that game, Justin Fields is getting teed off on him. But guess what? Justin Fields, after he got lit up, he gave that damn defender on the Raiders that looked like, you can't fuck with me. It's a difference. It's, it's levels to this. You know what I'm saying? You got one quarterback on the other end. He didn't want the smoke. You got Justin Fields. He's like, please, you got to hit me harder, son. Hey, he said, bring it on, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> and you saw the gesture right after he got hit. So... That's what you love to see out of your out of your future franchise quarterback. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch, Justin Fields, man. <laughs> and aren't we lucky? Now, fellas, I have to just do a quick public service announcement because I think a lot of people think that I hate Matt Nagy. Now, I get a lot of mentions here to this podcast on in our inbox, and I want to explain just one quick thing because DC and A-Dub know that I make a difference with Nagy. There's two Nagys in my world. There's the, <laughs> there's the one Nagy that's the play caller. 
That's the one that I don't like. Nagy, the person, the leader of this team, oh, that's the Nagy I ride with. A-Dub can tell you, we was a house hawk. Nagy came over to talk to us. I was like, this man kind of cool. You know, so you know as a person, he's a decent guy. It's just that play calling thing. It's like that play calling Nagy, he's a, a stubborn guy. He's got pride. But I guess at the end of the day, right, if that's the worst thing you can say about a guy, I mean, is he all that bad? But I'm just saying, Nagy, the leader, has kept this team together. This is a three and two ball club right now, guys. He didn't lose this team, and you have to give him some sort of credit for that. So I just wanted to just put out that PSA. I do not hate Matt Nagy, the man or the leader. It's just the play calling Matt Nagy that I just do not like. I will never like that aspect of him. That's not as strong. So we found that out for sure last season, as we talked about before, Perez. But yeah, man, Nagy, you know, overall, as a coach, you look at look at all these intangibles. Like you said, there are time frames this season. You thought he would have lost the locker room, but he didn't, you know, after mm-hmm. that atrocious game we had. But looks like we bounced back from that, you know? And look where we are now, three and two, and we looking to be on the right track moving forward. Yes, sir. On to Green Bay. And I, and I too, got to give Matt Nagy some credit because, you know, I saw a report that Matt Nagy went to the offensive players and asked for their input. Like, hey, what do you want to see in the game plan? You know, what What do we need to incorporate? So just the fact that he was able to not only take a step back, but also open up at the same time. Because like you said, Prez, he seems like a decent guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he still has the respect of the locker room to where they would be like, hey, man, just like you said, you're messing up. But, you know, you still have our ear. Hats off to him for that. And that's a great point that you made, DC, about him going to that offense, because that shows humility, right? But it also shows them, hey, you know what? You guys got a voice in this as well. So that's dope. I, I did not know that. So that's really good. I'm glad you brought that part up. Because the thing that, that I thought about with this whole situation was there was video that came out in the locker room when he was talking to the team, and he talked about how it was a great road victory, and he credited everybody. He was like, the players, the staff, the fans. He was like, this is the best win that I've had since I've been here. And he was fired up. But it wasn't just him talking. You can, I even heard Khalil Mack's voice in the background saying, yes, sir. I'm like, I heard that deep voice. I was like, that shows you right there. <laughs> when you got that guy co-signing the coach in that moment, he ain't lost that locker room. Not at all, man. And that's one thing you like about this team. They are together. They're still together through all the things they've gone through together, the good, the bad. And if they're going to continue to be this way, they got a good opportunity to do something special. To DC's point that he made earlier about Justin Fields, you and I talked about this on DB about his toughness. But guys, enough can't be said for the fact that he was taking those shots in that ball game, limped off the field a couple times, came back and finished the game. And to me, Showed that he actually got stronger as the game went on. I mean, I don't know what you guys saw there, but I'm just saying, man, this guy right here, we got ourselves one. We're very fortunate, and I'm glad they turned the keys over to him. These guys realize that it is a long season. You got 12 games left, but to get off to this start and then turn that negative into a positive, because I'm telling you, after that Browns game, it was looking pretty ugly. You know, miraculously, we were able to bounce back against the Lions, but man, this team has a long way to go. So it's encouraging to see both sides of the ball rallying and getting behind Nagy and just, you know, just putting their heads down and getting the job done. Yeah, absolutely. You, you're definitely right on spot with that, DC. This team together with Justin Fields, like Perez mentioned, leading the way, this gives you a lot of hope too, because the thing is, the kid is showing you that all the toughness you all mentioned, but he's also a good, accurate thrower as well that he's taking advantage of his opportunities. When he gets a chance to pass the football, 
he do a good job with. You know, he take care of it very well. Great point. Now, we can't end this segment without giving some fucking love to Sean Desai. Because that defense, he's building him a little baby juggernaut. I'm feeling some Vic Fangio vibes with this defense right now. Because this right here is just crackling under the surface. It's like DC's Jambalaya. We talk about his Jambalaya a lot. But I feel like that's how it is. It's crackling under the surface, right? That defense, man, right now, if they could continue to be what they've done here since that Cleveland Browns game, I don't think this six-game upcoming stretch of games is going to be as bad as a lot of people think it's going to be, guys. If the defense leading the way like they're doing, not giving up any ground, that defensive line, how well they've been playing, I mean, they're doing that. They, they've been lights out, man, as a unit. So they continue putting their, applying that kind of pressure. It's going to be very tough for, the, for those teams to beat us. Applying pressure is the key word. And it feels like they want it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's one thing to go out there and play defense and just like, hey, it's just another down, just another down. But they actually want takeaways. They want to make their name known, their presence felt. So it's, it's just a difference in the energy that you can see. If you read between the lines of, you know, each game and what the defense is doing, you'll see there's just an extra little, as you mentioned, my jambalaya, extra little spice to it. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, this is the thing, right? That week one game against the Rams, we already know. That that game didn't leave anything to be desired. But ever since then, this defense each week has improved. And I think the big key for me when I look at it, guys, is those looks that decides giving these defenses. They're exotic looks. He switches it up. And he was confusing the shit out of Carr in that game against the Raiders. So that threw the Raiders offense all off kilter. And I don't know if you guys are peeping this, but watch how he was moving different players away around the field. When you disguise your coverages that well, the offense don't know what the fuck to expect. You don't know what you're giving them. So pre-snap, the quarterback's looking here like, well, I don't even know where to call the coverage. They're like, I don't even know where to audible. It throws everything out of whack. And that's why when Decide is the defensive coordinator of this team, as A-Dub used to talk about on our uh, DBE show all the time, he calls him the doc. And this guy's the doctor of defense because I'm telling you, he is dialing up some shit. And I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do down the stretch here with this defense, especially. And I know people we talk about Bears weather, how it's not really that big of a thing. But, you know, there could be some advantages to it, you know, come December, come January. You're right, man. You and I did not have anything negative to say about our secondary in the last game because no. the side done a good job. Like you said, disguising things around. You may think it's a blitz. You may think it's man to man. But guess what? It could be his own coverage. So, yeah, he did a great job mixing it up. And those kind of things, mixing it up with that kind of defensive line, that throws you off tremendously. So, That's right. And, and not to make another mention of my jambalaya, you got to stir it up a little bit. You got to mix it up a little bit, as you guys are saying, you know. And by the time it's ready, by the time it's all said and done, it's going to be perfect. You're going to end up with W, you know. Turn the lights back on and clubbed up, because here we go. It's time to get lit. So, (laughs) Roquan Smith, Sunday after the game, you know, said the biggest thing for us was finishing. So, have to finish strong. He was getting outscored in the fourth quarter. And I'm telling you, when you you throw different things at the offense as, as, you know, as we did, it shouldn't be that hard to finish in the fourth quarter. It should just be like a, you know, a cherry on top. You know what I mean? It shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to exert that much energy to put them away. You know, it should be, you know, dare I say fairly easy, but we know nothing comes easy. 
any given Sunday, nothing comes easy in the NFL, but you, you definitely want to just put your stamp on it at the end. And they definitely did it. And you know, I got to piggyback on you talking about Roquan Smith there. That man is so physical, man. I'm talking about the way that he finishes plays when he comes up and makes a hit in coverage. He's going out there. He's teeing off on people. Boy, boy, boy. That's all pro right there. I don't care what nobody say. Woo. He's that guy. And a dub to the point that you made about the secondary. Now, you know, but prior to these last couple of weeks, I was going ape shit on the secondary. I was going ape shit on Vildor and on Duke Shelley. But guess what? The last couple of weeks, they've improved in their matchups. And we're hearing less and less people talking about them. And why is that? Because the pass rush, like you guys mentioned earlier, applying pressure. Pressure, that shit covers up a lot of things in your secondary. Now, Eddie Jackson, we still see what the hell you're doing out there. But for the most part, <laughs> everything's been good. We'll take advantage of that. But I want to piggyback really quickly on something that DC was saying uh, regarding that offense, though, man. The offense has been scoring when they need to score. We didn't have a great output. You talk about, I know we talked about a little bit of this on, D, on DBE press about what they did statistically, right? But the fact that they score when they needed to score, right? That means they had a good drive going. Thinking back to that point with the offense, I mean, it starts with the running game. And so Damian Williams and Khalil Herbert, they did their part in that game to really ensure that we set the tone in that ball game. It was a physical ball game. We ran the ball well. The offensive line, for the most part, they opened up holes. I love the way that they were using Alex Bars in this game. It was almost like using him as a sixth offensive lineman. They were gashing that Raiders defensive line. It was a physical ball game on both sides of the field. But offensively, I thought we did what we need to do best, and that's run the football. Takes the pressure off of Justin Fields. So to that point, yeah, we scored when we needed to. I still think there's an opportunity, though, for this offense to take things to even a greater level. But right, right. now, I'm not going to nitpick because we're getting the job done. <laughs> that's all that matters right there. One week at a time, steady, slow, but surely, we're getting there. Hey, we're going to simmer that pot right now. That's what we're doing, simmer, stir slow. <laughs> and Khalil Mack got that W. You could tell he was fired up out there going up against his old team. He was talking that good shit to, uh, to Derek Carr. I wish they had a mic on him where I could hear what he was telling that motherfucker. Man, he probably was telling him, man, you a bitch, even though he didn't say that. They're friends. But you could tell <laughs> that they were talking that good shit, though. Competition at best. Now, see, that's something that's pay-per-view worthy. If the NFL ever got some type of, like, live HBO version of games being broadcast where all you're doing is just watching the game with the players mic'd up, no commentators, just just uncut, raw, real, that's worth paying for right there. You know what? And it probably could justify some of the prices of them additional services that they offer because if we could hear some of that stuff, I'd definitely gladly pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. You heard it here first, HBO NFL. <laughs> Give us our credit. Give us our credit. <laughs> that, that brings Trump up. Come on now. That's right. Let, let your people talk to our people. <laughs> All right, uh, Ada, before we get into our next segment here, because I got a lot to discuss when it comes to my Chicago White Sox. But before we get there, let's have some good vibes here before we talk about the not so good. Give me one of your favorite moments that you had in Vegas this past weekend. I know there's a lot of people that are listening to the show that weren't able to make it to Vegas. So let them live vicariously through some of our experience. So A-Dub, what was one of your favorite moments down there? Prez, one of my favorite moments down there really came when we actually first got to the stadium. When we got there, you and I just stood outside, just enjoying the scenery, right? And just seeing so many Bears fans walking past 
saluting us, saying what's up, saying hello, just that camaraderie right there that we all on the same thing, on the same team, and we're rooting for the same team. But just seeing so many fans come through, that was um, spectacular. Hey, Dub, I can't say enough about that experience. And we was parking a lot pimping. So for some people from the South Side, <laughs> me and they Dub just pulled up, man. We pulled up on our case and we were just sitting up there just talking to everybody to get dropped off in their ride shit a lot. And everybody was like, oh man, because A-Dub had a sweet Justin Fields orange jersey on. So everybody was stopping, talking to him about his jersey. You know, everybody was like, oh man, bear down. And oh, you know, so many Walter Payton jerseys came out. So it was cool. Even the Raiders fans that came by, they didn't have a lot of bass in their voice because they saw them numbers. We were deep down there. Yeah. We were deep. <laughs> big time. Even on the broadcast, y'all, like, it seemed 50-50. That, you know, Bears make a big play, and I heard a pretty pretty loud roar, even through, uh, you know, through uh, through the broadcast. And you know what? I didn't get to watch the rewatch of the game, DC, but a lot of people was texting me and saying, they're like, man, the Bears fans are loud as hell out there. <laughs> so I was like, well, I was proud to know that because in the stadium, it definitely felt like we had those less no Bears chants going. And, you know, for, when the Bears were on defense, I felt like we were pretty loud out there. Yeah, it did feel that way, Perez. Um, You can hear us, man. And I know we were upsetting some of those uh, Raiders fans, but, man, we were so loud and deep that it was amazing. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We were sitting right in the middle of the black hole and A-Dub and I had zero problems. Nobody wanted no smoke with us. We had no problems. Everybody <laughs> around us was kissing our ass, by the way. <laughs> we had no problems. <laughs> None at all. I mean, we were talking to some of the, like, friends to say, the Raiders fans, and um, we just had some good dialogue going. Really did. Yes, sir. I would say I got a couple before we get into the Sox uh, segment here. The first one for me was the plane ride down to Vegas. It was filled with nothing but Bears fans. Everybody that got on there was wearing their Bears jersey, and there was Let's Go Bears chants throughout the flight. I'm telling you, I said, I asked the flight attendant, I'm like, hey, did you all start serving liquor again on these flights? And she, they was like, no, it was lit. Like, it was, everybody was just ready. You could just tell they were ready. Even in the airport, it was Let's Go Bears. Like, that set the tone for me of like, okay, this weekend right here is about to be one. And then my second one, I was at brunch on Monday. You know, little bottomless mimosa joint. You know, getting my little breakfast in after a night of drinking there. And, dude, <laughs> my party, we get up. I was there with a couple of uh, Bears fans from the hotel where I was staying at. And some random Good Samaritan picked up our entire tab. Now, we had a $300 tab. And so we go to pay. We're like, all right, I was like, I'll just put it on my card. Y'all can Venmo me, whatever, right? And the lady was like, not so fast. She's like, a Good Samaritan picked up your tab. They said they liked you guys' vibe. And they said, uh... Yeah, they said pay it forward in the future to somebody else. So I don't know who the hell this person was. So there was so many people in there, and I was looking around. I was, like, looking at people's body language, trying to figure it out. You know how I was trying to be, like, a, a bootleg Columbo, like, just looking around, like, man, who the hell is somebody looking over here? I'm like, Which, who was it? And I kept trying to figure out, I'm like, who did it? And the owner was like, I can't tell you. He likes to be anonymous, but he does this once a month when he comes in, and he only does this to people that he thinks that are good people. So – Though that was one of my favorite moments, just to see that the good in this world. You know, a lot of times people focus on how negative and how toxic people could be. But when you have situations like that where somebody just is randomly paying for somebody's $300 meal, oh, that's not something I take lightly. So that was something that I thought was huge. Wow. That is dope, Perez. Great story there, too, brother. That is amazing. That needs to happen more often in society, to be honest. Yeah, y'all both know me personally. It shook me for a second. I didn't even know what to say. You know me. I always got some smart shit to say when something happened. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, like, looking, and I was uncomfortable. I was like, wait, they did what? And I, like, and it touched me and shit, so I couldn't show that. I was just like, 
I'm like, I don't need nobody paying. And then the second, <laughs> 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 but that was me. I had to throw that out there. But then inside, I was like, man, that's like the, one of the nicest things somebody had done for me. I'm like, wow. Because you see that shit on TV or you'll see somebody post something on social media where somebody did that. I'm like, nobody ain't never done that for me. So then when it happened, I was like, damn, <laughs> that's crazy. So I don't know. That was one of my favorite moments from Vegas, guys. That's dope, though. But I think you earned that because you always doing something nice on other people, friends. When we out, you know, hanging out, you always tipping. We go get our food, whatever. We haven't sat down to eat or anything like that, but you always tipping the person for giving us good service. So you always do that all the time, just out of kindness of your heart. So good to see that happen to you. I appreciate that, A-Dub. You know, audience, A-Dub's just a very kind person. I'm not all that much of a tipper, but, you know, he's just a very kind gentleman. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I see you in action. <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, A-Dub just buttered me up for this White Sox segment audience because I'm just about to hit this one raw and uncut as possible. I'm just going to say this, guys. You guys all saw the Astros advanced the fifth straight year that they're going to the ALCS. I'm disappointed, man. Flat out disappointed. And literally yesterday when it happened, I was pissed. I turned my fucking phone off after that game. And you know what makes me the most mad, guys, about this situation? Is all the things that I was worried about leading up into this playoffs that I've talked about on this show. They showed up in this postseason, and it's why we lost. The offense, inconsistent. The pitching, what did I tell you guys? Certain guys on that in the pitching rotation, they had to step up. That didn't happen. Tony LaRusa and that use of the bullpen. It was just so many things that I saw in that series that pissed me off. They brought this man in here to take us to the promised land. He was supposed to be Moses. We didn't get Moses. Well, <laughs> you didn't get Moses, but you sure got Tony LaRusa. <laughs> All right, you laughing a little bit too much for my liking, bro. You better relax over there. <laughs> Here's what I saw, though, Chris. I saw those things you were just sharing with us. Absolutely. I did see that. But under the surface, I also saw a couple of things I wanted to point out. One was your catcher. Your catchers are not the guys who can really call a good game. They're not the ones that get grimy and get dirty. They're not the Pudge, Rodriguez, those kind of guys who can do those things there. So for me, No, you're like, right. You're right, because they gotta... don't use steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just fucking with you. I know. I know. I know. But the thing is, those are guys are not defensive-minded guys, you know? They're good offensive guys. They're also good players. So I'm not going to say that they're, not, they're bad players. They're but pretty good, man. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so if they were to step their game up, really get dirty... Some guys can make bad pitches, whatever, and those guys will go get it. They want those type of guys in, in the series here. So they kind of got exposed a little bit in that way. So it pretty much says that you guys got some great pitches. You're probably going to need a catcher who can really call a great game as well. No, hold on. Now, I got something there because A-Dub, that's a phenomenal point. And you know when you give me some gold, we about to fucking turn this shit out for a second. So hold on. What really irked me in that game is, did you guys see how many stolen bases that the Astros got on Grandal? Yes. Absolutely. They were taken off on him. And a couple of times, he didn't even throw the ball. He can't now, make that play. Now, that, but you know what? It's two people involved. It takes two. Because yep. that means the pitcher, they're not doing a good job with keeping that runner close. But Grandal is not about that life. So to the point that you're making, it's going to be important for them to this offseason to get a defensive-minded catcher to come in here that it can't throw people out because the Astros had that. That guy, Maldonado, for the Astros, now he couldn't hit worth shit. Well, right. We weren't running on him. <laughs> we weren't running on that motherfucker. Kept y'all at bay. That's what you want. Good damn point. I would just hope that 
Grandal learns from this. Because, you know, maybe we don't have to necessarily go outside. Maybe it could just be a case where, and this is just me playing devil's advocate because y'all made great points there, but maybe that experience can come from within to where it's like, hey, I know where I messed up. I know what I got to do better. I know I can bring this edge. I know I can bring X, Y, and Z so that these things don't happen again. Maybe that's what can transpire next year. Possibly, DC, but when I look at this with Grandal, hell of a player offensively, draws a lot of walks, can hit for power. I'm, when I look at this lineup, I'm thinking maybe Grandal could DH once or twice and then, then you bring in that defensive-minded catcher, especially when we look at a playoff series like this, because in the playoffs, what you can't have is base runners on base, which happened in this fucking series. We were walking people, which was another thing that irked me. And guess what happens? Those people that you walk and get on base, they end up coming around to score because if they steal second base, you get a timely hit, well, you're cooked. And that's what happened with those Astros. They were able to manufacture runs, guys. Yes, they did. I mean, they got about 7.8 per game. But anyway, that's another story. But the thing is, when I looked at them, oh, I yeah, watched these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to call out anymore. But anyhow, <laughs> I lied. Now I'm going to call another one out. <laughs> they hit 3.78 when you talk about guys in scoring position. They hit that good against you guys. So that's not a good thing on your part from a pitching standpoint. But the point I want to bring up is you guys didn't make any adjustments in the field. You think about this phrase, I saw them hitting the ball up the middle several times, and y'all done nothing about it. So you got to have your guys in a good position to actually get the ball from the infield, right, to get out. And I don't think your guys did make those kind of adjustments. And that fall on Tony La Russa and his staff. Okay, A-Dub, and that pulls, brings it right back to the guy that I called out earlier in this show, TLR, because you are correct with that point. We did not do a lot of shifts in the infield. In fact, I didn't see us do that at all. Now, when you looked at the Astros and where they were lined up, look at how they had to shift on for Mankata. Look how they had to shift on for Abreu. They did the scouting report on our team, and they were always there when we hit that ball on the ground. Absolutely. And that's part of you got to look at your staff and say, okay, coaches, managers, you all got to do a better job at scouting these players out and seeing what they do well. Because I also be honest with you, the Houston Astros have players who work the pitch count. And you got to be to watch these guys, man, of what they're trying to hit to. I'm telling you, this was disappointing on so many levels. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I pondered throughout all of this, and it may have gone unnoticed, is that Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker have quite the history. Yes. You gotta wonder if Dusty Baker maybe maybe not was paying rent in his head, but maybe had a couple Airbnb nights or something. You know, because Tony La Russa was kind of off of his game, and it was it was questionable. A lot of a lot of his moves were very questionable. I tell you one thing: I saw uh, Dusty Baker's face a lot of times in his expressions. He had that "I wish a motherfucker would" type of look on his face. <laughs> he had me shook watching that shit on TV. I ain't gonna lie to you. Man, look, nothing got Dusty Baker more shook than when Ryan Tepper made that comment about the Astros cheating. When that happened, you know, it's like okay. These guys are fired up even more. So Ryan Tepper should have kept his mouth closed to be totally honest with the press. One of you all should have checked them and said, hey, man, we're trying to win the series. Let's not go talking all this crap after we won one game. I mean, that's fair. It's par for the game. But the motherfuckers shouldn't have been cheating either. So fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we can't let their shit off the hook. But, I mean, when Tepper made those comments, to myself, I kind of said, hey, let's not give them any sort of... Um, any material motivation. for them to, or any motivation, right? But, I mean, 
Tim Perry, he did his thing, though. I mean, he was lights out. So, I mean, I can't really fault him too much. He probably should have been quiet, though. Yeah, that's what I believe. I just, I just look at it this way, too, because Sunday, we had all the momentum. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, due to an act of God, act of nature, whatever you want to call it, the game got rained out. Yep. And had those clouds not came in, I'm just saying, we might still have baseball on the south side because we really swung the momentum in game three. Let's be honest here with that point. That crowd in that game, oh, my God, game three, I was sitting there watching that shit. I'm like, bro, I thought the Bears crowd was loud there in that Vegas stadium. That was like probably one of the loudest crowds I heard at the cell in my life. That was a whole vibe. Yeah, it was, man. The fans came out. They showed out, man. You guys had it lit. I'm telling you, man, that was that blackout. I did a few uh, few drop-offs over there off of 35th, man, and I'm telling you, the energy. I even dropped off a Cubs fan that was there. To say it's just, you know. <laughs> But, but still, you know, experience the vibe, you know. But, man, it was incredible. But, man, that the energy yesterday for game four, it, like the crowd just – the Sox didn't give the crowd anything to get behind, really. No, they were trying, man. They were trying. I got to ask you, though, DC, was that John Cusack that you dropped off the Cubs fan that you talked about? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming, man. I knew it was going to say that, man. I knew it was coming, man. DC, be quiet, man. <laughs> I found that to be quite hilarious. But speaking of another guy that, you know, switched hats, Craig Kimbrell, man, what happened? <laughs> so, DC, I got some thoughts there. You know what happened there? That was a battle between Rick Hahn and Tony Russo. Rick Hahn wanted Kimbrough here. Tony Russo had it in his mind this whole time that Hendricks is his knife in the gap. We talked about it on the show. I talked about this so many times about what we're doing in the eighth and ninth inning. Tony Russo, right. for some reason, didn't get Kimbrough comfortable with his role. Kimbrough did never, he never looked comfortable here in Chicago. He did not look like that same pitcher that was lights out for the Cubs the first half of the season. And part of that, Fred, good point you bring up. Kimbrough's not a setup guy. He's a no. closer. So he's a closer. in an uncomfortable situation. When it's money time, you still have to show up regardless of, of what the position is. You know, you got to respond mm. to whatever it's called out, call for. So he's been in the major leagues for a while now. He should not have been blinded by the bright lights. You know, you got an opportunity to advance against a very hot Houston team, and he just didn't show up. There's quite a few guys, you know, not just Kimball to sing, single him out. You know, it, it was it was a collective effort. You, you win as a team, you lose as a team. But I also think it's fair, the point that you made, that when those lights are on, you got to step up and make it happen because there were a few guys in this series that I thought showed up well. Gavin Sheets, the young guy, he performed like he had to. But I, I look at a guy like Jimenez. Where were you? He didn't get it done out there. You got to have these guys that have these names associated to them. They got to step up when it when it counts. Where was he? And I give credit to Lewis Robert, who got hurt in game one and gutted it out. But we yes. know he wasn't the same player out there. Now, I'm with you there, Perez. You got to have these guys that you all talked about, the headline guys, do their job. You know Jimenez is not a good defender either, so he's not hitting you know, like you want him to, then what is he really giving you guys, right? Not much. Now, one thing that I will say, 
in the playoffs, there's two things that are key. You got to have timely hitting, but you also got to have starting pitching that's getting guys out, that are keeping guys off of base, and the starting pitchers have to go at least five or six innings. Well, guys, if you looked at this series, Lance Lynn got chased out of the game early. Carlos Rodon got chased out of the game early. Even though I do give him credit, he gutted it out. But as I mentioned, whatever those arm struggles that he was having down the stretch, there's something going on there. Because you could tell he was not the same pitcher there in that second half that he was in the first half of the season. But however, when it comes to that, you tax your bullpen when your starting pitchers can't go. And then when you saw when the bullpen came in, they were even giving up hits and runs. So I thought the bullpen, to a degree, they were all so-so in this series, but I also thought they got overworked. Now, yeah. also, I just got to say this. To the point that you made earlier, A-Dub, the Astros, those guys, they were pitch counts. They were getting those uh, pitch count totals up for Lynn. They were definitely doing that to Rodon. Our guys don't do that. And if anybody that, that is a Sox fan that's listening to this show right now, you know that our offense lives and dies by the home run. If we're not hitting the ball out of the park, this offense struggles to score runs. And that is not something that's a recent occurrence. This has been like this for a very long time here in Chicago. Yeah. You think about when you all won 05, right? You all had guys who can do several things. They can hit home runs, but they also can hit lines, rides, and all kinds of things, right? They made timely hits, like you were saying, Perez. This team didn't do that, you know? It was like you said, these guys looking for the long bomb. That's not going to work out. And these guys didn't even work the pitches that much. I thought they were rushing a tad bit, you know, like going for the early pitches, trying to hit something, and it wasn't working out well for them. But the thing is, they didn't do that in this series here. I think when you see it firsthand happen to you, I I feel like you're going to take that and add it to your arsenal next year. You know, Jose Abreu mentioned going into next year, 2022, what's going to be the biggest difference maker. And he said experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you you got that ass beat. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just <laughs> it's not pretty at all. And and really, had it not been for, you know, the heroics in game three, it was looking pretty dismal for a bit. So right. let's just let's just take this one, you know, pile it away, file it away, whatever you want to call it, and and just come back next year saying, you know what? We know what we gotta do. Because to me, this kind of reminds me of a young Bulls team in the 80s. They had to go up against the Detroit Pistons. Yes, sir. Physical, you know, like these guys hadn't had that experience yet. This is still a young and very talented team. But we're going to have to go through teams like Houston in order to get over that hump and and win a World Series. You know what, DC? I feel that point. But for me, I think this loss is still too raw for me to accept that part. Because all I look at is the fact that you don't get too many bites at the apple. That's true, Perez. And I think that you got to take advantage of these opportunities. And this is not a shot. This is just me being, you know, making a comment about sports. But look at the Cubs. They had that dynamic core. You would have thought that they would have went on and won two or three. Right. So now I'm looking at this young Sox core, and I'm like, listen, this was the year when we got rid of Renteria. Everybody said, hey, we're just a manager away. We're just a manager away that's going to get us to the next level. And I'm not saying, I'm not here to take shots at Tony La but I think there's a shit ton of managers in the league that could have took this roster to first place to win that division. That division wasn't that good. We brought right. him in here for his expertise because he's won World Series. He's a Hall of Fame manager. But where was that expertise? I didn't see it. 
I'm with you. That's there, my Brady. problem. That's my problem. That's why I think why that's why I still feel like this loss is just still too it's still too deep to me right now. And I'm telling you one thing, Jerry Reinsdorf, you were the one that wanted to La Russa here. The players, they grew to love him. They grew to appreciate him as a fan base. We all started to accept it. But if you're not willing and ready to open up that fucking pocketbook this offseason and improve this ball club, then you ain't as serious as winning as you talk about. So, yeah, you got your guy in here, open up that pocketbook, and let's fucking make it happen. Bring Rodon back. Get us a backup catcher in here. Get some utility guys that know how to play their role, that know how to manufacture some runs. In 2005, we got on base. We had guys that knew their role, and they lined it up for those heavy hitters like Canerco, Jermaine Dye and company to make things happen. You can't make magic happen if nobody's getting on fucking base. You know what thing, as you hit there, that just reminded me of something that I didn't see from the White Sox? The Astros didn't even mind butting the ball. I was like, is someone in the White Sox going to make a butt, <laughs> you know, the, to advance the run or anything like that? It's just small, those small details, right, to help you win a ball game, really. I used to see A.J. Brzezinski do that all the time, you know, just to try to get the run over. So it's little small details you got to do to win a championship. And I think the White Sox got to get to that point to where they're willing to do that. Well, that was that 2005 team. Ozzy was all about getting the person from first to second, manufacturing right. runs, you know what I mean? So that wasn't here on this team here. To D.C.'s point, though, I hope you're right, brother. I hope that this is like that budding Bulls team before the dynasty comes. But, man, we got to tweak a lot of things. We got to tweak a lot of things. And a lot of guys, I hope this offseason, look themselves in the mirror and realize, hey, I got to fucking do better this time. I got to tweak some things about my game. I hope they can take a critical look in the mirror. And the next thing, too, that coasting down the stretch, the second half of the season, which I know they were doing to preserve health, but down the stretch, our record was atrocious. Yes. And not to mention the fact of that, but in our performance against teams that are above 500 this season was bad. So although we had a good regular season, there's a lot of things that we have to look at and be objective of Sox fans and realize that this is not a perfect team. There's a lot of things that they're going to have to clean up. Now, they have a bright future ahead of them, but as I mentioned, you don't get many bites of the apple. So we can't be complacent. We got to strike while the iron is hot. Absolutely. Hey, hypothetical question, guys, because you did bring up Tony LaRusso's inability to get it done. Do you think if Ozzy coached or managed this team, same talent from day one, instead of Tony LaRusso, do you think we would have beaten Houston? Well, but then that also you have to look at the type of talented players that you have on that roster because Ozzy had different type of players. So I don't know. Now, I do know that if Ozzy would have been a manager of this team, this team would have been a lot more aggressive. They'd have been a lot more... I didn't feel like they played with, like, their uh, chip on the shoulder. When you looked at the Astros, when you yeah. saw Correa up to bat, when you saw Altuve up to bat, when you saw McCullers on the, on the mound, they just had that look about them. I don't know if it was just, we know we're going to beat that ass, but it was just like, it was just a different vibe. I didn't feel like our players had that vibe. They had that look in their eye. You know what I mean? Yeah, I went through there first. It looked like they were just, hey, we're here. Let's see what's going to happen. You know, we don't know. But they didn't have that extra chip. So I think to that point that you were asking, DC, I think that's something that Ozzy could have brought here. However, I think that, like, that's a long shot. They didn't even interview Ozzy when that job was over. <laughs> they were not interested at all. <laughs> not at all, man. They done with Ozzy. They done. <laughs> <laughs> they go back to the head sometimes. You just can't... <laughs> Things just don't always work out. 
No, him and Kenny, they had too many run-ins, man. But I will tell you this. I enjoy listening to Ozzy on those broadcasts. Boy, he keep it entertaining, and he don't pull no punches, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ozzy, he's smooth, man. He knows his stuff. I mean, he knows baseball. Got to give him credit. Well, listen, guys. That was my eulogy on the Chicago White Sox season. Now, let's turn the page now to a team with championship aspirations. And that is our Chicago Sky. Now, this is the matchup that brother DC asked for. He wanted the Phoenix Mercury, and we got him up in here. Game one, the ladies did what they had to do. Fellas, talk to him. Man, Prez, I was so excited watching them play that game, that first game. I mean, these ladies came out, Prez. They looked a little flat in the first quarter, but that second quarter, they brought the defense. They shut them down, man, and they went forward. So they won like a 17-0 run, Prez, out there. So those girls locked in. They made good shots, too. Yeah, I cannot, you know, state enough that last week when I when I gave that matchup, you know, of of, of Chicago Sky versus Phoenix Mercury, I cannot state enough how this is what the league needed. The league, and I don't know if you've just felt a difference in the air of, you know, wow, WNBA, WNBA, WNBA. Like, I've got friends that are like, hey, let's get tickets to the, to the Sky game, you know, like, like just, just that previously really didn't care as much about WNBA. So now it's just like, man, this is, this is good. This, this is definitely good. And for them to come out the way they did game one shows that, like I've been saying for weeks, and we've all been saying for weeks, is that once they turn that defense up and once they get locked in in, in, in money time, this team can go really far. And they're on the precipice of, of bringing home a, a trophy. I often thought that it was the WNBA's own fault for not marketing their league better. But I would tell you that one thing. This season, they've done a tremendous job with that. Did you guys know that this opening game, game one, it was like the highest ratings that they had, the most viewed game since like 2017? So that goes to show you that not only has the marketing of the WNBA been better, but the product has been awesome. And apparently people love these two teams that are involved because the Chicago Sky is out here representing and Chicago is representing these ladies big time when you see those type of viewing numbers uh, for that matchup. Absolutely, Fred. That's a good point you bring up. And also, both teams got stars on it, too. These are women who you can market. So it's good to see the interest. And I would say this. We know that this is the first time that the, uh, that the Chicago Sky have been in the finals. But the first time, they didn't even win a single ball game. And we know Quigley and Vanderstoot were on that team in 2014. And so I love that now, not only we always talk about the leadership of Candace Parker, which we're going to get into here in a second. But when you think about the fact that Quigley and Vanderstoot are the holdovers, they are the Chicago Sky. So you got to think about it now. You have that mixture in that locker room. Oh, man. If they know what's at stake here, you could tell in that game one, they took it to the Mercury, and they had to. Because if you look at it, the Mercury had just played a game on Friday. So they're coming into that game one, heavy legs, probably fatigued a little bit, and the Chicago Sky did what they had to do. Because when you go up against a team like that on short rest, you got to win that game. No excuses. Absolutely, praise. You're right. You got to take it to them. And Khalil Copper took it to them. Ooh, I mean, she was talk. out there beasting. I mean, from rebounding to getting to the paint. I mean, she was relentless, man. And um, we talked about this on the show. She is a star. She is a superstar on this team, without a doubt. That's that killer instinct. That mm-hmm. every team has to have that player that just says, give me the damn ball. 
<laughs> and I swear, Kalia Copper, Copper is it. And I saw Diana Taurasi welcomed in a baby, and you know, congrats to her and and and, and her wife. But you know, that still cannot be used as an excuse. I'm pretty sure Phoenix Mercury fans are out there like, oh, well, you know, she, you know, welcomed in a child. Like, no, no, you still got to play the games. And you're on the biggest stage. Game one, Phoenix had an opportunity. They were up in that game. But Chicago, again, you know, just said, no, we want this. A little bit more than y'all do. She got a future Hall of Famer that's in the fold, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That is awesome. But I will say this, though. To the point what I was making earlier about fatigue, not that anybody would ever use that for an excuse because Diana Taurasi sure did and because they tried to ask her about the birth of the, her child and things like that, and she wouldn't take the bait. She was like, no, we just got our ass beat. And that was it. She said they were physical, they were they took it to us, and that's what you want to hear from your superstar player. You don't want your player to sit in here like, oh, yeah, you know, we were short rest at this and that. No, no, that's an excuse. You got to go out there and get it done. They didn't get it done. These are the playoffs, Perez. There are no excuses at this point. You make it this far, you got to come and play. That's it. Yeah. And I remember when P.J. Tucker was at the parade for the Milwaukee Bucks when they won the championship a few months ago. And he's just like, we got some dogs. (laughs) (laughs) On this court, like Diana Taurasi, when they put away Las Vegas to advance to the finals, I'm like, Diana Taurasi, she's like, Dog, and I mean that the nicest way possible. I'm telling you, she had no fear, nope, so ever. She's knocking down threes. I think, in my honest opinion, that was one of the greatest WNBA games ever played when Phoenix put away Las Vegas in game five. You know, if you're right about that, DC, go back and watch it. I'm telling you, even though Phoenix has their share of dogs, Chicago Sky. Had some dogs too. <laughs> Courtney Vandersloot was out there. She had a dollar and ten cent worth of assists. And if you got to do the math, she was dropping dimes. Then I mean eleven of them. So keep up. <laughs> <laughs> but this this is the thing though. When you got Vandersloot pushing the pace that we talk about all the time on the show, that just goes to show you that that Chicago Sky offense they got whatever they want when they wanted to. To the point that you made a double about Copper, bro. They couldn't do nothing with her. The Mercury coach even called it out and said, we got to do a better job on her in game two. And not just from the offensive standpoint, but how she hits the glass. Now, this is one of your guards that's not afraid to go in there and mix it up. She's tough. She gets those offensive rebounds. And what does that do? You get those second chance points. And the Chicago Sky, they were eating in the paint, eating in the paint in game one. That's what you're supposed to do. When you like get a team that's smaller like that, you take advantage of that, right? And I think that's the one thing I will say that this Chicago Sky, you got to get Coach Wade a lot of credit. Let's see if they can keep it up. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily say Phoenix is smaller because, I mean, they got Griner. Uh, who, who's the other lady down there in that paint? Stewart, is that her name? They got some size down there. But what I saw, though, is the way that that Chicago Sky offense was maneuvering, they were getting them away from the paint because – Stephanie Dawson has that threat of being able to shoot from the outside. That draws Griner away from the paint. So it was open it up for the guards to be able to hit the glass. So I just thought it was it was really cool how Wade was utilizing his pieces to neutralize what the Mercury do best. So good point there, Prince. Very good point. And we just took full advantage. You're right. We take full advantage. It was just good to see a good balanced attack, really, because I think 
this guy team is like you said, it's balanced, right? You got you got Candace Parker, you got um Copper, but the others that I liked as well that you mentioned on press was around uh Dawson, you know, how she was playing well, but also Stevens played well. They actually played pretty good. Yeah, the the Mercury are gonna give Brittany Griner a, a steady dose of of uh of opportunities. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she needs still bread and butter there. Everything is pretty much gonna go through her. Um but you got to give, take your hat off to the Chicago sky. Cause you know, to you guys' point, you know, they're, they're, they're not afraid of the moment. You know, they made adjustments. Coach Wade deserves a hell of a lot of credit. And, uh, and honestly, you know, this is the type of team that we were hoping for, you know, at, at this point, if they made it this far, this is what we were hoping to see. And these ladies are delivering. No, that's a, that's a hell of a point. But I just wanted to say, too, because I said I, I called her a steward earlier. It's Brianna Turner. You got all defensive players on that front court between her and Griner. And I just thought the way that Coach Wade dialed it up, phenomenal, phenomenal. And we're only two wins away from a title. Now, listeners, we got a game at 8 p.m. tonight, and it's actually on As We Podcast, so we're going to be wrapping this shit up soon. We can tune in because I'm telling you right now that this game tonight, it's probably going to be one of the hardest games the Chicago Sky has played all season. Coach Wade has already said it. You got this Phoenix Mercury team now that's coming in here with extra rest. Dinah Taurasi and probably got some sleep. They're going to come in there, and they're going to be ready to play. And this game right here is going to show you what this series is all about. And so I'm really looking forward to this game tonight. I'm looking to see what kind of adjustments that they make as well. I want to see what the Mercury going to do because they lost their first game. You know they want to get that second one. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and today, or tonight rather, we got to get contributions from everyone. That means yep. the Shield, Stephanie Dolson. You know, you got you got to have a, a balanced attack, and you got to stay on the boards, too. Because, again, you know, as I mentioned, Brittany Griner, she's, she's a threat down there. You don't want to give up too many second-chance points. To the point that A-Dub made earlier, Copper. We got to get her still playing at that high level because I'm telling you, outside of Candace Parker, we all give the credit to who she deserves to have that credit. That's the queen of Chicago. But Copper, her offense is the reason why we're 6-1 in these playoffs. They don't talk about that enough for her. And she also realizes that scoring is just not the only way that she's going to be able to help this team. So I mentioned with the rebounds. But listen, defensively, she's just as strong as she is on offense. That's why I really like the Chicago Sky team because they have so many two-way players. They're not afraid to mix it up to DC's point where he always talks about the others. You guys both brought it up. Dolson and Stevens, they did their jobs in game one. They're going to have to continue to do that shit here in game two. Brittany Griner, that's a tough matchup. That's a team effort right there. They're going to have to make sure that they neutralize her. Absolutely, Chris. And one thing I like when Wade run his zone, how he has Copper up front leading the way, I mean, she's done a good job at trying to contain those guards, you know? And I think, like you say, her defense side of it, not just the offense, plays a big part. But the other thing that D.C. brought up that I thought was very interesting, we only had one person that scored off the bench last game. That was Dawson. Fair point there. Now, we can't end this segment without giving some shine to Candace Parker. Because I'm telling you one thing, I talked about it earlier with that leadership, but that championship DNA, that cannot go unnoticed here in this series. And Candace is locked in. If you saw the way that she was in game one out there, she was talking to them ladies. When she saw something, she was pointing it out. And she produced out there. I'm telling yes. you, right now, she wants it. She wants this. And the Bree want back home, Press. The Bree get back home, baby. That's what it's about, man. 
she wants to bring it here. And like you said, all those intangibles like that, friends, the leadership part of it, like you said, the communication. I mean, she's even working the referees. I mean, she's working the whole damn game. So I loved what I was saying for Candace Parker. And Prez, I know you mentioned you had some mimosas. I'm pretty sure Candace wants some champagne. She want to pour <laughs> up her orange juice and, 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 and shine a trophy. You know what I'm saying? Like, she is the reason why uh, the Sky are in this position because that championship DNA, that championship experience is infectious. You put that in the locker room, just, you know, think about it. It could just be game five of, the, of this regular season and, you know, in a tough spot. And she's just, you know, coaching her teammates. Just like, look, this is what I had to do. Da, 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 da. Just small talk. People underestimate the small talk that happens on those sidelines. And once that that information is shared amongst that team. They start picturing it. They start visualizing like, well, what's that going to be like? Well, ladies, this is what it's like. Hmm. Now you got to shine. You hit that. Cause you're right, brother. Now this is something else that a lot of people don't talk about. And we can't underestimate the fact of who was Candace Parker getting her knowledge from when she was a young player in this league, Lisa Leslie. Oh, yeah. when she was on that sparks team schooling Candace Parker. That is who we have in here now. Lisa Leslie is one of the brightest minds of the game. I'm not even going to just talk about the WNBA of all the games. She's coaching in that big three. She's got a lot that she brings to the game. Now, when you see this leadership, it doesn't work if the player doesn't embrace the role. Candace Parker has embraced that role of being that leader on this team. And it takes a lot of being, it takes more to being a leader than just saying, I'm the best player on the team. No, you got to know how to communicate with people. You got to know how to connect with them. And you got to know how to teach. Those are all the things that she knows how to do. And she has been awesome, bro. Awesome. Friends, I'm glad you brought up that point about Lisa Leslie because, you know, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, did she play with Lisa? I'm like, hell yeah, she played with Lisa Leslie. <laughs> and that's just a passing of a torch right there. So you got you to gotta just take all of those experiences. Fact, and it's, it's in Candace Parker's DNA. It's her makeup. It's her habits. It's, 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 her, it's her determination. It's her focus. It's the little things she does. And like I said, it just spreads contagious to the team. So now you have a, a unit moving with that mindset, which is amazing to see. And you bring it like that. I mean, that's the whole purpose, right? You, have, you, you play with people who actually done it already, right, who've been there then we can show you the route. And I think now you see how it's trickling down. She's showing others the route. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens here tonight. Sky, let's get this 2-0 lead on Phoenix. Fellas, let's get into these bulls, man, before we get out of here today. Now, there's been a lot of foolishness that's been going on in the Eastern Conference between Kyrie and his refusal to get the vaccine and what that means for not only himself, but also for his teammates, but also Ben Simmons, who wanted to be out of Philly, who didn't decide to just show up. So I'm sure that was uh, Rich Paul. They, like, get your ass to camp, bro. <laughs> Go ahead and report. <laughs> when you guys look at some of these shenanigans that are going on, how do you guys see the Bulls being able to capitalize off this? Because these are two teams that are contending teams that are above the Bulls in that conference, at least as far as when you think of pecking order. This is going to be a prime opportunity for the Bulls to get out of the gate early because right now there's that uncertainty with teams that were predicted to be the head of the Eastern Conference. So I'll take a look at Brooklyn for a second. Much like the guys over in the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Lakers, I'm pretty sure 
Brooklyn doesn't care as much about the regular season. They just want to be there for money time. And Ben Simmons is his help. So for the Bulls, in order to capitalize on this opportunity, they have to come out the gate strong. Because once you get down to March and April, and then you're matching up with Brooklyn or Philly, and, no, and that's for playoff position and seeding right there, it's always good to have that 3-1 advantage, win the season series, or that 2-1 that advantage if it comes down to a tie. You always want that tiebreaker because I'm telling you, you know, you don't want to see a situation where the Bulls are in that play-in again. And I don't foresee that happening. But as it relates to Philly, the Brooklyn's, the Milwaukee's, you want to have any kind of advantage uh, that you possibly can. Nothing about these Bulls right now, Perez. They right now, they have a good momentum going on. They got a good chemistry. They have a good locker room, unlike some of these other teams in the East, you know. So right now, they're going to be fine, man. They got it all together. They humble. They hungry. They want to play together. They are playing together. So they're doing a good job together. So they keep that up and just focus on Chicago Bulls and not worry about the outside, what was going on with other teams. They'll be fine, man. So right now, they're minding their own business. They're going about their business. So this is what we want to see here in Chicago. Yeah, let's be honest here. The Bulls have had a drama-free camp. That's not something we've said in the past. When you had the guard packs bullshit that went on with some of this Bulls franchise under Billy Donovan and AK and company, this has been very quiet around here. And that is the way you want it to be. There's been no bullshit that's been going on with this ball club. So now, we, we talked about what DC mentioned about all the inner workings of what's going on with Brooklyn and Philly. Well, I look at this opportunity and say, yes, DC, if the Bulls get off to a good start, that bodes well for us. I don't care if these teams mail it in in the playoffs. We know that we're not. We know that Billy Donovan and that crew they're going to take pride in that regular season, and that's going to help us to capitalize, and that's going to help us potentially move up the seating because you can't tell me that chemistry is going to be an issue with these two teams. Now, I know Philly's been trying to make it all kumbaya, and everybody's been saying all the right things to the media. If y'all don't think that Joel B got beef with Ben Simmons with the way that he handles, shit, handles himself, you're crazy. This stuff internally with these teams is going to combust. And I think with the Bulls being a team-centric team, the fact that all these guys seem to actually like each other, they all came here because they want to play with Zach, they want to win together, I really think that bodes well for us. And I think that I hope these teams continue to have issues because our team is going to come out there every day and compete and not take the regular season for granted. They're not going to be load-managing. They're not going to be trying to coast their way through the regular season because that's not the Chicago way. Could not agree more. And when you think about it, too, these players know that they have a long way to go. Everybody's on that same page. And like you said, they like each other. So that means on and off the court, everybody's of the same mindset. Like, hey, I'm not going to try to outshine you. I'm not going to try to step on your toes. Everybody's unselfish because they know mm -hmm. collectively that's where they get paid. And in playoff time, in money time, that's where they can make their mark. So get through the regular season, get better, incrementally, day by day, game by game. And then when it comes time to match up with those other Eastern Conference giants, there won't be any questions because you have that confidence in yourself as a team because you've been doing it since, since before training camp. These guys got in here early. So mm -hmm. they're building something here. Damn right. So I think the Bulls, all they got to do is focus on themselves. They can't worry about anything else at this point. And like you all saying, they all to a good start. They're playing well, Perez, uh, together. 
They look, look like a cohesive team. And that's what you want to see happen for a team like this here, to continue to do that and continue to grow. And I think this team wants to grow together. They're all humble. They're willing to put the work in. And guess what? They feel they got something to prove as well. And to that point, A-Dub, I want to ask you guys. So, yes, we are off to a great start, 3-0. and But outside of the usual suspects of guys that we've talked about on the show, who's been a surprising player for you guys? Because for me, when I look at this lineup and I'm seeing some of these guys that are performing, I'm looking at Io, and I've been super impressed by the way that he's playing. I mean, this is the Io that we saw at U of I. I mean, D.C., he's a huge Illinois fan like I am. Io <laughs> in college was Mr. Ice Water in his veins. And I'm seeing those traits coming out in these preseason games. Now, listen, I know it's preseason games, artists. I get it. But this is also still a rookie player that's trying to make his way into the league. So I've been really impressed by what, I said, what I've seen from Io. But who do you guys have as far as, like, some of those surprise players that are making names for themselves? Well, I like Green. Green has shown me a lot um, on this team here as being a starter coming in for, um, for our boy who's not playing right now due to injury. But he's shown me a lot, man. And uh, if he continues at this rate with that energy, what he's bringing, doing the dirty work, I mean, he's a player. So from that standpoint, if he continues at that rate, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and he's somebody that's come in here and replaced Patrick Williams. Because I know yes. we talked about on a couple episodes who would be a good guy to replace him. And I think A.W. said Stanley Johnson, but it looks like Donovan was like, no, nah, this guy Green might be the guy here. And, and to the point, I thought that was a great call-up because – Green is coming here, and he's been a nice little plug-and-play guy for Donovan. So that's a great call-out. Absolutely. I love the picks that both of you guys made. Io just fearless. Like you said, Green just taking advantage of the opportunity. Like, Green is going to get rotational minutes, you know, and, and that's just going to make us even more deep once Patrick Williams gets back and you slide mm. Green. Mm. Oh, my right. God. But here's my guy. And I was not sold on him <laughs> at first because, you know, he had to grow on me a bit. But Alizé Johnson. Okay, okay. And the thing about my man is he is looking at that backup spot to Vucevic. Now, we haven't seen Tony Bradley play. No. But I this man could come in and do some damage on the board. I see he's binge watching uh, Dennis Rodman film, you know, really trying to, to, to mold his game and carve a niche for himself. And those type of things, the hustle plays, the dirty work, getting in there, just snatching the ball away and, and, and putting it back up, second chance opportunities, man. Like, that's impressive. So, so Alizé Johnson, man, pour up a glass. <laughs> pour up a glass from a man, Alizé. <laughs> well, I would say when I think about that one, that's the guy that I highlighted when he came over here from the Nets. And I thought that the Nets lost him a really good player, but they had to make room on their roster when they got Aldridge. So when he came over, they had to let go of somebody, and Alizé was the casualty. And I thought this was another one of AK and Eversley's moves of neutralizing an opponent in the conference and getting a young player that has potential. Because he is a menace on the boards. That's somebody that you want coming off the bench because he's going to play with energy. And I'm telling you right now, this is a guy right here that you can have a part of your bench mob because we got a bench mob 3.0 coming to town right now. Yes, sir. We're going to need it for sure. We do. And I want to see guys like Marco Simonovich. I want to see what he's able to do. Like I mentioned, Tony Bradley, when he gets back, I want to see what he's able to do. I'm very, very excited for Kobe White to get back because I feel like playing next to Caruso, 
he's going to put the league on notice uh, in that six-man conversation. You know, I, I feel like he has explosive scoring potential. So this this team, bench mob, man, we're gonna have to have a, a third string bench mob, two bench mob, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. Man, we 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 definitely got uh, squads lined up. Yes, sir. And one point that you made, DC, before we get out of here, you talked about the return of Pat Williams. That's something that can't go overlooked because He's starting to get some work back in. You know, he had that severe ankle injury. That's something that I'm looking at. And I'm thinking with the season coming on the horizon here on October 20th, if Pat Williams can get some time in here now and potentially get back, that means he's going to return a lot quicker than they had designated. Because remember, they thought he was going to miss the first couple weeks of the season. So that says a lot about how he's attacked his rehab and how this kid wants to be out there with the team when the season starts, guys. Yeah, man. Salute to Pat Williams uh, for a quick recovery. You know, that's good to be young these days. So definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see him back playing sooner than later to get some good chemistry with this team, right? Because he didn't play with these guys yet. So that'll be lovely. Yeah, it's going to change the dynamic or the, that dimension once the ball tips off, man. I mean, he's a, a physical player, a little bit more physical than Javante Green. Javante's got mm-hmm. hot, but Patrick Williams... I'm telling you, on the defensive end, he's really going to help solidify that unit. And one last thing with this offense has improved as well. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, we'll see. But, A-Dub, I know where you're going with that. I am cautiously optimistic. But, you know, he had that nickname, Passive Pat. So we'll see. Hopefully he's been able to <laughs> get rid of that nickname. We'll see. But Because I think, man, with these pieces that they put together, And like you mentioned, uh, D.C., Kobe White, when he finally comes back for injury, think about the dynamic he's going to add to this team off the bench. Man, oh, man, I am so excited for this Bulls team, man. I am so excited. Thank you, A.K. and Eversley. Thank you so much. I think we're really going to be paying attention to this rotation, how uh, Coach do a good job rotating these players in and out the game. Absolutely. You know, you think about just the strength of the Eastern Conference this year. I'm not worried. I mean, maybe in previous seasons, I'm like, hey, do we have enough? Are we deep at this position, this position? Man, this is a very deep roster, too. And it's very easy to tell. We're in a very, very fortunate spot here. Audience, October 20th, season opener against Detroit. As you guys always know that I say on this show, fuck Detroit. We're ready for them. But the Bulls' home opener is going to be against the New Orleans Pelicans at the UC. Trying to get tickets for that one. DCA dub, if y'all trying to pull up, holler at a brother. But that game is going to be two nights later. And that's Lonzo getting a chance to go up against his former team. Oh, you know, yeah. Zion, you know Zion going to be over there salty as hell. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed. He's pissed off, man. <laughs> great, great way to come out and, and, and make a statement. And we saw Lonzo in the preseason game against the Pelicans drop five threes like it's easy. I'm telling I joke with my boys, man. It's baby splash brothers out there between Lonzo and Levine, the way he's shooting it at a 64% clip, man. I just, you know, it's 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 gonna be real, real bad for the Pelicans come game one. Can't wait. Can't wait. Final segment time. If this city could talk, I'm gonna keep mine short and simple. My If This City Could Talk goes out to the Chicago Fire Department. Now, most Chicagoans know that there was a law and ordinance put in place for them to disclose information on how long it takes ambulances to get to people to call for help. Well, that was eight years ago. 
and they are still not releasing that information to the public. So if this city could talk, be transparent, we deserve to know how long it's taking you guys to respond to these calls. These are people's lives that are at risk here. People that are in distress deserve to have resources that are coming to them and be allocated to them. These are the services that we pay for as taxpayers. So if this city could talk, be transparent, and let us know about these response times. If this city could talk, we will say salute to those who attended the Chicago Bank of America Marathon. Salute to everyone that came out. 35,000 people who were there competing. That's awesome. So great job. Hope y'all are wearing masks. <laughs> They're wearing masks, I hope. And yes, if this city could talk, it would just say, hey, we noticed that we've had some uh, some gloomy weather over these past few days. Uh, that means the season is changing. I know I, it, on my rides with people a lot, you know, it's cliche to talk about the weather, but how can you not? Because, man, we've had a great stretch of it. It's the middle of October, 70 degrees every day, but, you know, just beware that this is Chicago. And we can sometimes get four seasons in a day. So just stay prepared. Keep the long sleeves. Keep the hoodies with you. You never know how things are going to go because we don't need another wave of any type of illnesses affecting us. You know, just just dress appropriately and, uh, you know, enjoy these last few warm days while you can. And, and, and let's look forward to a nice holiday season coming up. Yes, sir. Love it, love it, love it. Audience, as always, this show is brought to you by Crave It. You can find that on Apple and Android applications. Join us on our exclusive community at Chicago Versus. We appreciate you guys' continued support for all of our new listeners that have been tuning in now because of the outreach from the Vegas trip and some of the things that we've done on Twitter. Hey, enjoy the ride. We're going to keep this good content coming to you guys. Fellas, as always, it was dope chopping it up with y'all, and we are out. DC, going to sign us off, bruh. Thanks for listening to the Chicago State of Mind. You can find this show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow or subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We appreciate your support of our show. If this city could talk, it would say Michael Jordan is and always will be the greatest of all time. The GOAT. You asked all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way.